0: hello and welcome to The Mariner with me Chris Damor Major and it's time for me to talk utter rubbish for another hour. It's questions and tangents again and uh, I'm really looking forward to this. It's Friday, it's fun doing these. Um, I do always have this kind of internal angst that I should do as much structured content as possible but I have to say that quite a few people have uh, written in and said that the best ones is when I just chat away to myself so uh, I'll do a little bit more of that. Um, I do have bits of paper here, it's kind of getting more and more interesting on my desk here, uh, if you've seen the matrix and you remember where Tank sits, he's the load operator who gets them into the matrix, he has that crazy desk with like keyboards on uh, stalks and all these sorts of screens, it's rapidly getting like that here and I have to say I have absolutely no problem with that at all because I love the matrix, it's my favourite movie and I think that my subconscious love of that movie is now being played out here but I've got a uh, my trusty desktop Mac. Uh, we have a PC which we actually record the podcast on, um, and that's the normal setup. But now, up oh, the iPad has arrived with its uh, kind of a keyboard thing that it's attached to. Uh, my iPhone is sitting over there. Oh, see, I'm getting my fingers all caught up and everything here. Uh, the microphone's in front of me. There's a keyboard on a kind of stalk thing. It's it's rapidly getting um, uh, dystopian here. So I'm I'm enjoying that process. But uh, behind it all is a new piece of equipment, which is. Uh, called a Scarlett 4i4 which is an audio interface which now means that my microphone is connected to the computer by like proper technology and is not uh, like yogurt pots and string as it was before so I'm not sure if the audio quality is improving over the last couple of podcasts I do hope it is Um, we've got nice XLR cables connected in now and I have this wonderful little thing that flashes and tells me if I'm being too loud and all the rest of it. And then glory of glories, uh, this is the first one I've done where I actually am able to put a pair of headphones on and listen listen to what I sound like, because most of the rest of the time I'm just completely free-balling it and uh, making it up as I'm going along. And uh, well, it's it's worked pretty good so far, but gone are the days of sitting in the barn and having the woodpeckers knocking on the roof, we're like, we're in the 21st century now or, or in the far distant future if you take the matrix. Uh, uh, analogy any further, but uh, sailing, we must get back to sailing. So what are we do We're going to be answering some questions. That's what this is about. Uh, you ask me a question. I start out answering it and then just go off in some completely random direction. Uh, hence the name questions and tangent. So um, first up uh, things which relate to the last podcast. I did the one I just did was the news and reviews um, a couple things. Um, uh, Javier, one of the around the world crew from the uh, ocean globe race that we're doing in 2023 wrote to me to point out to me <laughs> that the race we're doing is only in four legs not five so thanks for that <laughs> i got to i got to look at these details more i remember doing the um the clipper race and we set off from what was it we set off from hull in the uk and i spent the entire voyage uh, down from from hull to our next port telling the crew that we were heading to marseille which uh you know is inside the mediterranean where in fact we were heading to la rochelle so they're all very happy where we ended up at the same finish line as the other clipper boats and it didn't take an extra seven to ten days to get into the mediterranean so i do make these mistakes i think that uh, perhaps the The five oceans thing I did last time was at the front of my my brain and uh, led to some very uh, shonky math so yes if you're joining us for the ocean globe race it'll be in four legs (laughs) but that doesn't mean that you're getting less sailing I can remember going to the uh, pizzeria once with uh, with my uh, with my partner and uh, the guy saying how many how many slices uh, would you like it sliced up into? And she said, well, "I'm pretty hungry, so ten slices." He's like, "There's no more pizza," but I, I see what she meant. She didn't want lots of little slices. She wanted options and not be weighed down with uh, loads and loads of slices but um yes there, there won't be any less sailing because it's divided into into four but uh, it does make the legs pretty epic i think the reason for that is that they are um they are only uh gonna be going to south america at the moment there's no north american stop so what that means is i think that means there's probably a little bit of an opening there for a north american stop the the entire um personality of this race is to is to is to get back under the skin of the original whip bread the way it kind of used to be Um, i've done some of this around the world racing as you know uh suddenly the way i do it is is not the way that uh some of the 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 super pros are doing it the french when they sail they have this wonderful kind of all-inclusive attitude and it's um It's very apparent that whether you're on a 20 foot little boat with you and your family, or you're on an iMocker 60 going around the world, it all has the same value in that uh, culture. They're not so focused on who's winning. Um, I think sometimes in my own culture in the UK and sometimes in North America, it just becomes like an arms race to get to the front. And when that happens, uh, you just end up with campaigns, which have huge amounts of money and uh, you know, in no way, represent what it is that sailing's about for the rest of us so i think the the philosophy of this event to get back to that original kind of thought is 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 what's most important here but that that event the whipbread race uh it did have stops in in uh, north america so that's you know it's possibly on there now i just happen to live you know an hour away from halifax nova scotia which has an incredible uh, harbor if you're not aware of that the harbor in no- nova scotia that's right the har- <laughs> one of the harbors of nova scotia not the harbor of nova scotia uh in in halifax there it, it's kind of like a figure of eight uh a shape there's a, a slight constriction but the bedford basin at the back of that used to form up the the convoys there in the second world war that were going from north america to to the uk um they used to form them up fully fully formed up and ready to leave so they already had the their convoy uh, screen in place of the corvettes that were protecting them so an enormous uh, area perfect for an in in port race but you know what what do i know what do i know <laughs> i hope don mcintyre the uh, race organizer listening to this you know stop in uh, halifax nova scotia be pretty good but yes there will be uh, four legs in the race not five uh, i got a wonderful uh, email so one of the things i brought uh, in in front of me here is to have the the ipad so i can um go and uh, dig up her emails. Of course, now the flipping thing's not working, but luckily it's an iPad. That means that I can just press the screen and get past the problems. Where is it? PGN Racing. Peter Gibbons Neff uh, has written to me. He has got an uh, what's it? a mini transit campaign. Wonderful, wonderful. And they've got programs going in Annapolis and San Diego. PGNOceanRacing.com is their website. And they're already doing sailing with veterans, which is fantastic. I got a wonderful Response to the the little kind of introduction. I gave to the fact that we're looking to Get the Spartan foundation going and over the next two and a half years uh, Train veterans. I actually ended up watching a video uh, today the the actor who um, played Kylo Ren in Star Wars I've got to say uh, Rogue one was an amazing uh, Star Wars film Um, The other ones well, they were good films. I just kind of like feel like a bit of a sellout to uh, to Disney there, but you know, hey, you you got to put something out. And at the end of the day, yeah, the the original films were intended to be kids films, and now we're all like 40, 50, and you know, experts in films, and oh, weren't the originals great? Well, yeah, they were great because you viewed them for the eyes of a, a five-year-old or a 10-year-old or what have you. Five-year-olds and 10-year-olds that are watching the new films love them just as much as you love the first ones. But I was never like 100% happy with the, the character of Kylo Ren, Big change for me today because I got to see uh, the actor Adam Driver that plays Kylo Ren doing a TED talk. I'd uh, look that up if you if you can online. Um, he did one talking about his his rise. Uh, he was a Marine and uh, got injured out. Went to acting school. He already had an idea to go to to into that course of life, and then it, uh, it went in a different direction. He went into the Marines, got injured, came out, had another stab at acting. It really worked for him. And I suddenly saw this other side of this guy and he was talking about how difficult it is to come out of the military and I, that would spread that out to uh, the fire brigade, the police force, the EMTs, That how difficult it is to make that transition. And that's at the very heart of what we're trying to aim at here is um, some people are coming out with injuries, some people are just coming out with a, a whole different life experience behind them and it's uh, it's it's tricky to find a new way through and yet they've got so much skill and so much um ability and so much uh you know perseverance and all these wonderful characteristics so i'm very much hoping that that can be something that uh, that gets some uh, uh traction very quickly I'm just putting the proposal together now with the help of the other people involved in this. The charity aspect's already been set up in the U.S., so um, we'll we'll have that uh, online soon, and we'll see if we can't uh, make it happen. But yes, whoever comes with us, you'll be sailing uh, four legs, <laughs> not five, unless unless we can engineer a trip to Nova Scotia in there. Let's we'll see. Uh, what else? What else do I have to apologise for? Probably probably a few things. Oh no, we're we're not doing too bad. Not too bad actually. I think uh, I think I got a few other things wrong, but uh, we'll let those go. So into the questions. So, okay, question first from the Patreon page. I have a Patreon page. It's uh, The Mariner. That shouldn't be too difficult to find. Um, This one comes from Eric Innes. Uh, Eric, you sent this uh, question a little while ago and it kind of got uh, lost down the back of the sofa. He was listening to the uh, Team O uh, podcast, which I did, the episode I did, uh, all about the Team O back-toe life jacket. Fantastic. We've actually just ordered another eight of those for... um, for Falcon for the open 60. When we get back from doing all this stuff, uh, fantastic blue that goes with the hull. Um, he says, um, that he had read the report about the vessel lion where the skipper had gone uh, under the lower lifeline. Um, he then noticed that on the YouTube videos, um, I was putting that, that string, uh, on the front of the, of the boat on the first, uh, couple of, um, lifeline sections between the stanchions he was asking you know what that's about and how we attach it and uh what, what the kind of deal is there so we can cover a little bit now i'll talk about it in one of the youtube videos when we get going with those but just to give you a, a quick overlay most racing boats or in fact you know every every racing boat i've ever been on has got some kind of bow netting uh to stop well primarily really it's to stop the sails going over the side so i've seen in a couple of different formats if you go back to like the challenge boats the challenge 67s and the 72s, they were the boats that did the round the world event. They used to go west around the world and they would have, um, bow netting that was made up of webbing that was sewn onto the top rail, uh, was, uh, let me see on the inside of the middle rail and then was attached uh, onto the deck. And then, um, there was even uh, horizontal bits of webbing that was then stitched in, so you had like a net made of webbing that went on the first, I think four four stanchions, the first four gaps between stanchions, certainly all the way up to the shrouds or close to the shrouds. And what that's primarily for is that, um, yeah, if the sails start to get out of control, it will stop them going out through the lifelines. Now, clearly, obviously, it means that also you can um, be a little bit more secure on the foredeck Um, If you're up there and you're wrestling with a sail, we all know what it's like. You've got the toe rail to put your kind of heels into or your toes, depending on how you're orientated. It should be heels because you should never be between the sail and the sea. So if you are on the downside and it's your toes on the toe rail, and that means probably there's some kind of sail uh, ahead of you up the deck. If you see what I mean, that means that the sail is in a position where it's trying to push you off the boat. You should be on your butt with your heels up against the toe rail. With the sail coming down onto your lap Um, but in that situation obviously what can happen is that you lose that little bit of grip that you've got your feet start to go out through the rails and then you're in a a very compromised position for your safety so having the netting there the bow netting there in whatever format whether it be webbing or dyneema or whatever it is is a very very good idea now the webbing is slightly wider which is great but you have to really monitor that stitching on all those different bits and bobs because However you're going to do it, it's going to come down and go around something on the deck or it's going to go up and around at the top. It's going to be a lot of stitching. If that's done in an industrial uh, method using very strong uh, non-natural fibers, then you're absolutely no problem at all. But that's quite the undertaking. What tends to happen is you end up with some kind of line that you've put in there, which is going up and down. Uh, I use uh, Dyneema, Marlowe, I think it's 3 mil Dyneema. I would say you've got to use a Dyneema because it's so much stronger, obviously, than anything else at those very small um, diameters. The key thing is like how you're going to attach it. So what I tend to do is I have a very simple system. I'm in no way um, prescribing this. I am just describing what I use. It's been my experience that bow netting solutions will often lead, if there's too many knots attached to the stanchions in too many places, or sorry, to the, the lifelines in too many places, You can end up with your lifelines getting seriously kinked down as the knots start to move and what was straight becomes diagonal. And that diagonal starts to pull the the guard wire down with the vector loading. Suddenly you've got very kinked, uh, lifelines at the front, which then lowers them. And remember that most of the older boats we're going to be using have only 600 mil high, uh, guard wires. That was what was, um, considered safe for me. That's literally directly behind my knee. The new ones are 900 mil high, like just under three feet high, and uh, they're a lot safer, but that's you've got a lot more wire involved in that. If you've got two guard wires, you're probably dealing with 600 mil, and if you've got three guard wires, you're dealing with 900 mil. That's, that's pretty obvious, but it's, uh, it's a situation where if you have knots on every single thing, like you've made this wonderful tapestry at the front of the boat, it's going to end up kinking the top line. And that means that it actually gets a little bit less safe than you were hoping for, certainly on those lower 600 mil uh, guard wire heights. So what I do is uh, let's not worry too much about how it's attached to the bottom. We'll get to that, but it goes from the bottom. It goes inside that, uh, that lower guard wire. I've only got two guard wires. So it goes inside the guard wire. It wraps up and over the top of the upper one. And then it comes back down, passing again on the inside of the lower lifeline before it goes around whatever's on the deck and then just zigzagging up and down and then i do another load of that going the opposite direction so you go from having zigzag looking like a toblerone to suddenly having lots of diamonds but all of the points at which that line crosses the lower guard wire are on the inside the obvious reason being that if you start to slip um, the guard wires are going to be interlaced with this line that you've got in place and um, as your foot comes up against that little line it's not gonna bow out away from the boat and you're not gonna have any more travel than whatever is uh, the range of movement that your system allows. You, It's gonna be the line and the guard wire working together to hold you in. Now, there isn't very much traction available with only a three mil piece of line. Like if you want to have something which is a much more of a catch all at the front of the boat, then you're gonna have to go for a piece of netting. Now, if you've got children or animals on the boat, that's absolutely the right way to go. It's not very fashionable, but I can't see that there's very much more windage in it. And I can't see there's very much more weight in it. Um, that's going to be a much better thing for catching, but the kind of, uh, you know, the function and the fashion, they kind of go together is to have these lines up and down. Now, variations would be to put a uh, clove hitch on the lower guard wire and a clove hitch on the upper guard wire and keep going back and forwards like that. That's great. If that's what you want to do, no problem at all. That uh, that'll work, it'll keep you safe. It just may lead to those kinked up and down uh, guard wires. Now. What happens on the deck, on Falcon, what we have, there is a molding, a carbon fiber molding uh, that runs along the tow rail. The, the toe rail itself, in fact, is a carbon molding, which is hollow. It has cutouts at the appropriately spaced places and then molded into it. Is it molded into it? Well, it's inside it. Actually, I suppose you can get it out. There's a fiberglass batten anyway. And you can, yeah, you can get it out. You can hook it at the back. You have a little like a uh, bent over screwdriver type thing, and you can hook the back end up and then you can uh, pull it out and then you just pass a little loop of your line through the aperture on the deck through this hollow toe rail. You slide your fiberglass batten in and then you get the next uh, bit of line and you push it through the aperture doubled over so that you end up with the uh, line um, wrapped around this lower thing. So you can do the other thing if you haven't got that just get little uh, pad eyes, little stainless steel 316 pad eyes put them into the deck with 316 stainless fittings. Make sure you cork it properly make sure it's all set before you put any load on it and then uh, through those can go your uh, bow netting so um, I hope that answers that Eric um, if you haven't done that you know it's, it's quite a racy look maybe but it's safety as well so I've got bright yellow because um, the boat's coloration is meant to be a representation of the Nova Scotia flag which is white and blue but it does have black yellow and red in the center because there's a, a rampant lion um, in the center of the Nova Scotia flag. So I'm trying to find a little yellow accents, little red accents to to further make that point that it's uh, it's a Nova Scotian boat. So I've gone for the bright yellow Marlow uh, line, the Dyneema line. And uh, well, I think it looks all right. It needs kind of finishing up and get it all uh, tucked in tight. But um, yeah, it's looking looking okay. Finishing it up, you, I knot them. You know, I, I start them off with a, a bowline, I think, just take a, a round turn on something and then go into the bowline so there's not too much movement in it and then finish it up with probably what you could do with that is just pull extra tension into it because the whole lot will will lower down somewhat as you pull tension in put your bowline in the correct position and then let it back up and it should spring back into position the reason that i don't tie um clove hitches in everything is because then everything's free to kind of move around and uh and, and find its uh, correct level and no kinking of the upper guard wires we don't want kinky guard wires right so I hope that helps with that one, Eric. Uh, who else we got here? So I have to get back on my um, my techno here. They had one question that came from one computer. Now we've got another computer which is telling me it needs face ID. Good God, I'm sure Neo didn't have this. He just said we need guns, lots of guns and suddenly there were guns. Now suddenly I've got to give uh, face ID to what's going on. All right, the next question, or the next, not just question, but the next uh, email here is from from Kev and he's... Uh, actually sent me some very useful information here Kev had his own uh global ocean race campaign in 2009 on an open 40 and he was going through the same process as i was going through at the end of last year looking for new uh, pbo rigging for his boat he was looking at the um, same kind of stuff that i was looking at the pbo but he also did get some quotes and he says for e6 which is the carbon rigging which is like imagine like a giant pencil lead lots and lots and lots of them all made of carbon that's what they look like when you kind of fragment it apart like a pencil lead they're all in that zero stretch they last forever but as he says um <laughs> he says i had some carbon e6 quotes from another supplier and fell on the floor um, that's exactly what it is yeah is once you've uh, got up off the floor and stopped laughing um You know, there is a crazy amount of money that you can throw into boats. We know what it is, particularly race boats. But in the end, you have to make decisions which are based on budget. I can't afford E6 rigging and neither can my sponsor. So uh, we're going to go with the PBO stuff, which is still awesome. It's super light. On this boat, it's going to end up being 160 kilos lighter to have the PBO rigging rather than rod rigging. So I'm going to be going with that. It's very important to me because I'm going upwind that the rigging is as light as possible. Because to take a, a like a basic average for extra every extra kilo up my rig, which is a hundred feet high, um, that's the equivalent of five kilos coming off my keel. So suddenly, you know, an extra one hundred and fifty kilos up there is we're, uh, well over five hundred kilos has just been shed from the bulb of the boat, and uh, that is not awesome. We've actually got that on uh, Challenger. It's something we're going to be working on before we do the Ocean Globe race. Challenger was built for the nineteen ninety seven. Whitbread race, which technically at that point was called the Whitbread race for the Volvo Ocean Race Trophy. I think that's what it was, was called, or certainly for the Volvo Trophy. Um, she was built for that. Um, but having having competed as much as she did, she then went, went back to California where she was modified for shorthanded sailing by her then owner. And part of that was that they removed about a thousand pounds, just under 500 kilos from her Oh, that's a lie, actually, it's 600 kilos is out of her. So it's actually over, it's actually more like, what's that, like 1300 pounds removed from the keel uh, to make her a little bit lighter for the racing that they were doing out on the West Coast. So it's one of the reasons that Challenger has been a little bit slow in some of the races that we've been in, because to windward, it absolutely kills us not having that, uh, you know, five, five, 600 kilos in the keel. So I'm more than aware of the change in performance that can happen if you make incorrect choices about weight aloft or weight down below. So I'm going to be making sure that uh, we within budget do the best we possibly can with the rigging so that we get most potential. Because obviously this thing I'm going to go and do, it's all upwind. So thanks for that one, Kev. I, uh, I had a look at the, the quote that you got there and that's uh, it's yeah, big, big, uh, big amount of money to have to put out on something. But if you're in this and you're trying to take it seriously and you, you can scrape the pennies together, if you can go for synthetic rigging, it makes a big, big difference. Okay, the next email is from Blake Aslin. Hey, Blake, how's it going, man? Uh, he's writing to me from Galveston, Texas. Uh, he he says, as liverboards, we. So I guess you and your partner, or somebody that you've roped into being on a on a boat with you. Um, he uh, he's at this point when he wrote this, which is a little while back now. He said that they were getting ready for the first major cold front. Oh my goodness, this wasn't the one in February where it all went. Was that? That was yeah that was uh that was austin texas wasn't it they got the cold front and all of the power went out i wonder if that one is the 12th of february wrote this one so i'm not quite sure on my timing um well i hope you survived <laughs> i hope it went well um but they were getting ready for that and it looked quite cold uh, minus nine good lord i do not think of texas and it getting down to minus nine i was watching some stuff on youtube you probably worked this out by now that i everything i know about the world i've basically absorbed through youtube um and they were looking at like why the the texas power grid uh, failed and it um it wasn't super awesome i, I i've got to say it uh, watching it it's like mm, i think we could have probably avoided that and avoid a lot of hassle and heartache and pain and suffering for a lot of people so i hope that they have learned their lesson down there although from what i saw it seems to be every 10 years they they kind of make this mistake maintenance issues and decisions about how to operate the Anyway, what do I know about running electricity? Right, That's, that is not my wheelhouse. Um, he's now here's something that I know about. He says that um, we're talking about uh, A's for anchoring and uh, I was did not mention about the snubber. Okay, um, cool. Let's have a quick chat about that then. If I didn't talk about that, we should definitely do that. Snubbers are really important. If you're on a big ship, and you're trying to secure the anchor, then you are gonna have something like a devil's claw, which is a, a mechanism on deck, which is gonna uh, put a little forked tongue down between two links of chain and, uh, and hold most of the weight there. Don't try and hold the weight of your anchoring operation on the windlass. It's not what it's built for. It'll hold in like most conditions. Um, and then you're gonna think, oh, this is going great. And then you realize that, oh, when it gets bad, the uh, anchor windlass will wind itself out backwards. Uh, probably blowing the clutch on the way so that you're not gonna be able to wind it back up again. Um, so we need to have ways of securing. So you can take the chain uh, off the uh, or take not, be careful, be very careful the wording it. Don't take it off the windlass, but you can lead it from the windlass and then round a cleat or something and then it goes out through the horse pipe or over your fair lead at the front or whatever that is. Or you can connect a chain hook which has got a, a, a kind of connection point, again a kind of forked hook or there are a few different mechanisms that connect into the chain um that can be done again on big vessels by the fact that it's uh, it's a piece of chain that's doing that but what it can be and that's what um blake is talking about is it can be some kind of stretchy piece of rope so for those who've um, seen the first couple of seamanship videos that i did on the patreon site we were talking about uh, rope that's where we started off with and we were looking at the elasticity properties of different sorts of ropes so if you get yourself a nice piece of nylon horse three strand rope it's got wonderful stretch characteristics and it gets more stretchy when it's wet and uh, you won't very often be in, in heavy weather conditions where it's bone dry on the front of the boat. You're lucky if, you, if it does. So it's going to get more stretchy and more useful for what you want to do, which is to snub or to create like a shock absorber at the front of the boat. The other thing it does is that it takes away a lot of the sound, of course, and that's a real hassle if your boat is rigged with some kind of forward accommodation and you're trying to you know, sleep a little bit through the storm as well. Um, it doesn't mean that you're sleeping all the way through the whole thing, but you're sleeping through some part of it. You don't want to be listening to that chain rattling around in whatever it's, it's lead at the bow. So the snubber is there to shut it up a little bit and to take some of the snatch out of it. Um, I'm not sure if I, yeah, did I talk about shearing? I did talk about shearing. Yes. So shearing is that where the boat starts to ply its way from side to side. If you've got a catch and you have a bow sprit or actually even on a modern day boat, you know, bowsprits do create options for connections. Falcon is uh, moored by three primary lines. Um, she has one going up the uh, starboard side, one at the port side, as you can imagine, and then it has another one which goes straight up, which I was always we were always called the bull rope, and that goes straight onto the end of the bowsprit. There's a fixing on the underside of the bowsprit. There's a soft shackle, and so she has this like three-point fixing method, which definitely does slow down her um, uh, shearing at the mooring. Uh, there's not very much spring i've got to say in in that stuff that the mooring that is underneath her uh is 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 pretty heavy so i'm not too worried about it but if we were anchoring i would definitely be looking at some way of reducing how much she's moving around and i'd be trying to create that uh get the pull onto the boat as low as possible so when i've run um open expedition boats in hong kong for the hong kong out of Bound school they were rigged with what we called let me get this right they had a line and it was called was it called a butterfly line yeah it was a butterfly line i think that's right i think i got that from oh now what's his name is that underhill yeah underhill right underhill rigs and rigging a book by underhill from the 1800s one of the bibles of rigging god i haven't seen that in years not even sure if you can get a copy of it anymore but as as always in sailing everything goes round in a circle so you can look at a book of rigging from the 1800s like oh that's how to do lashings which we use on Mon race boats and that's how you rig you know <laughs> some kind of tackle oh that's what i need to be able to save me in the middle of the southern ocean when i'm sailing solo and they they talk about you know how to quieten a boat down so on um, for them the snubber is actually the the butterfly line and that comes from a ring which is below the fixings for the uh for the bobstay and uh, means that the boat is attached to its anchor at a very low point, very low down, very far forwards, and that stops her from shearing around. So in that circumstance, it's a snubber and it's also a butterfly line, or the butterfly line is a snubber or however you want to put it. Um and it's it's keeping the boat kind of uh steadied up a little bit with a riding sail and a and a butterfly line. You've got a nice quiet low down steady ride, which is about the best way I think you can get through a um a storm. Now, in terms of scope, which he says, uh, when we anchor our boat, we always rig a snubber. And I've always wondered about two main things. The first is how to calculate the snubber into the overall scope. Uh, the way I do it is to let out my desired scope of, let's say, five to one. And then I attach the snubber, which is about uh, 15, 15 or 20 feet. OK, cool. Our boat is 38 foot long. So I don't know if there's a suggested length of snubber or not. What are your thoughts on calculating scope? Oh, that's a really good question. Okay, so let me see. Um, The first thing is appropriate size. So if you look at the lines, if you get something like the uh, ABYC mooring uh, data sheets, that will show you all of the chain that you should be using, the weight of sinker that should be on the boat, and also what size of lines are appropriate. It also uh, relates to um, when you dock, your docking lines, how thick should they be? How heavy should they be? What sort of stretch characteristics can be in it? If you end up with like super, super heavy, um, docking lines, you can end up what I've always called throttling the boat. I'm always very nervous to sort of say like how I say it. I'm not saying that's the only way you can call it. I don't really care about vocab as long as you understand I'm saying. About. If you tighten the boat down that damn hard with massively oversized lines with no stretch in them, Uh, the boat is what we call throttled and then it will start to jerk and pull around at the dock and that's when you either part a line or you pull a cleat off the dock or you pull a cleat off your boat or whatever the boat has this really jerky motion because you're throttling the boat you have to have a little bit of stretch you've got to get a little bit of ease to the lines you've got to rig extra lines and those lines are going to be of an appropriate size so for a boat that's like 40 foot Half inch mooring lines. God, I hope that's right. Double check that. I am not. (laughs) Allegedly, uh, I think it's half inch uh, horse laid uh, line is enough. A couple of those to hold your boat on the mooring in like normal conditions. Obviously, you would add more lines, more chafing gear if it's going to be blowing a bit harder. So the first question is, what's the dimension of this snubber line? The length is an important calculation as well. But what's the what's the diameter? See if your um, if your snubber line is like I don't know seven eighths or an inch or something, ain't going to much stretch in that. You can have it as long as you like, and your thirty-eight foot boat's not going to do much to that. Um, so I'd say you get the appropriate size line. Now what's the length? When I've done snubbers, the snubber normally reaches down to like about the water, which I'm guessing on a thirty-eight foot boat can't be much more. What's a freeboard on a thirty-eight foot boat? Like four feet, four feet, something like that. What was that movie where they jumped in the water to have a little swim and there was a baby on board and then they couldn't get back on the boat? Was that like a drift or something or alone or some other solitary ringing hollow word that makes you petrified to go on the on the ocean? Um, uh, I I never watched it. I don't really watch these things. Someone asked me if I should uh, do those um, like a review of films like um, what's the one with Robert Redford? Is that... (laughs) probably called a drift or alone or something as well isn't it whatever that was i should uh, i should like critique them or, or something or you know how could you get past this i would say that like am. watch the robert redford movie and then you work out exactly what you would do that's better than whatever it is that he did and if you watch the other one where they get stuck in the water you work out what you would do and then you can be all clever about how you would get out of there but i think they jumped in in like their um their swimming gear so there's not very many options there unless you can really uh fly out the water with some kind of like uh man from atlantis type uh, m- movement and get back on the boat but anyway i, I digress well there you go that's the, that's, the <laughs> that's what it says on the packet so you can't be too confused if i lose the plot slightly so snubbers that's what we we're talking about um i think the freeboard's like four foot or something so if it's four foot then that means that we've got to uh calculate into this situation um the the the, the, the range the scope of the uh snubber line so What we need to do is work out what's the function of this thing. Well, the function of this thing is to hold the boat and to give us a little, a little bit less noise and a little bit less jerky motion. And so the diameter of the line, I think is your, is your point of question. Now, what you could do, let's have a think about this. It would be a bit the, the the question here is, are you expecting the snubber to like hold you through the storm? Are you expecting that the snubber is doing the job of the chain? and the chain's attachment point to the boat because as as far as i kind of know whether you're working all chain or chain and, and road, the 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 things that you've specced the ground tackle of the boat of which the snubber is not really part it's an accessory too but you know it's it's fluffy dice in the in the uh, the overall mechanism of the car of the of the <laughs> ground tackle does that work as an analogy yeah whatever you don't have to have it right it's an accessory it's an awesome accessory like fluffy dice but it's not absolutely necessary so the ground tackle is spec for the boat the anchor the shackles the way everything's laid down all that kind of stuff but at the end of the day it's just there to make it like a bit quieter for you and stop her snatching at the the anchoring gear the the reason that the boat will not lift the anchor is not really connected to the snubber the, if it's a big storm and you're really worried about what's going to happen next, it's going to be about is the anchor set, what's the medium that it's in, is it gravel, is it shale, is it rock, is it weed, whatever it is, what kind of anchor you've got, um, how much chain you've got, is that the correct chain to create catenary, uh, you've got five to one at least out on your scope, all that kind of stuff, the snubber's not part of that, the snubber's there so that you can sleep. And so the boat doesn't range around in the breeze. If it's getting like 50, 60 knots where you're gonna part your snubber, the the chain is gonna have to make noise. You should have some chafe gear around the chain, you get your plastic tube, you tie it on, all that stuff that you do. You get your riding sail out, you do all those things you're gonna do. So I would say the snubber for me would be like four or five feet. I can see where it's gonna go into the water and it is not included in the calculation at all. And as we had, oh, I'm gonna forget his name, somebody, very smart wrote to me and pointed out that um you when you're calculating this you're not calculating the, the the height of the bow of the boat when you're talking about five to one you're talking about depth of water and that's up to the water line whatever it is up from the waterline up to the boat that's a completely other thing if you've got a a super yacht that's mooring—that's um, one thing. Uh, if you've got a yacht this morning, that's another thing. If you've got a motorboat this morning, like everything's different above the waterline. But we're about weight and windage and ground tackle and expected height of tide at the the uh, anchorage and the, the weather that we're going to have. That's what ground tackle's about. So I would say, heavy anchor, good shackles, good chain, uh, good connection to your road. If you've got road, at least five to one out and. Um, And then uh, the snubber is just uh, it is sitting there between the water and the bow of the boat and made off onto a cleat on deck with a little bit of slack in the chain that if everything starts going wrong, you're going to start to uh, ease that out. Now, I guess the last thing I can say on this is the fact that five to one will give you basic holding in most conditions, but I don't think there's anybody anywhere that's saying like in a heavy blow uh five to one will hold you it if if it needs to it needs must like if it's getting like that turn to one whatever how much chain have you got there's no point in it being inside the boat don't let the boat sink you know with the flares unfired don't let the boat drag its anchor when there's still 60 meters of chain sitting in the locker what have you got it for um so i would say uh five to one is your minimum the snub is not part of it correctly sized snubber will give you the best um kind of uh, uh uh suspension kind of um snatch anti-snatch kind of system and then uh in the event of it getting into a heavy blow you're not relying on the size of the snubber to to hold the boat the snubbers out the system you've got some chafe gear around your anchor chain and and that's what's going to happen so um that's a that's a really great question blake thanks for that man that's uh, that's exactly what uh, i want to be able to try and do with this i think there's some kind of answer in there for you, and I'm thinking that uh, you might be able to <laughs> get get something from that. I don't think you need fifteen to twenty feet of snubber on your on your thirty eight foot boat, which is um, you know if you've got it, fine. But just don't uh, don't include it in what's going on. You just work out the five to one based on the the water depth. So I hope that uh, helps. Oh, what else? He's got something else. Here. Hey, this goes on. Also, after we drop the anchor and have the desired scope out, I will lock in the gypsy clutch. Awesome. Uh, We have a manual windlass and then slowly back down on the anchor until I feel it set and then bring the RPMs up to about a half to three quarters throttle to set the anchor and let it dig in. I know that having a constant load on the windlass itself is not good practice and that is why we always rig a snubber. But should I rig the snubber before backing down on the anchor with the engine so as to not put that load on the windlass itself? Blimey. Okay, let's let's work this out all right so (laughs) so uh well this is from the hip isn't it here's the deal uh the snubber is not gonna hold any high loads it's just there as we've just been through to kind of make it nice quiet night so i would say whatever is the securing mechanism that you use for your anchor chain or road whatever that is it's uh, on a devil's claw it's on a um Uh, Oh, I think some people call that a dead man, don't they? Where they kind of, you drop the little thing in. Um, It's wrapped around a cleat. Whatever's your mechanism of securing the anchor, that has to be done first, okay? Um, And then you can back down on it. Now, I will say this. uh, You wanna be setting the anchor on quite short scope. Let me get this right. If you you back down on the anchor, when the anchor has got its full range of, full scope out, you are already getting involved in the mechanism of like how anchors work ie what you're trying to do when you set an anchor properly is create this uh, dug in plow shaped delta shaped bruce shape whatever it is shaped anchor it's going to dig in and then there's going to be some chain running along the seabed and hopefully that will kind of shimmy its way down under the mud a little bit and then it's going to curve up towards the boat and then it's going to go onto whatever's your mechanism so the setting of the anchor is actually the point where the anchor flukes go into the bottom of the ocean that doesn't mean that you are then like setting the whole system you are just getting the anchor to dig in so you can back down under quite gentle loads and the anchor will dig itself into the bed At that point, you then start to back down, you know, maybe keep the revs nice and slow, and you let out the required amount of scope, and you might just put a little bit of pressure on with the engine so that you can, or the oars, or sailing backwards, it doesn't just have to be about engines. Um, uh, You put a little bit of pressure on, so you know the anchor's set, that's physically happened, it's hooked itself up, and then you've got the chain, and then you put the boat uh, into reverse to straighten out the chain, and boom, that's your situation. Now you better hope that the big blow comes from the exact same direction that you set the anchor. Otherwise setting the anchor is like irrelevant anyway, because the boat's going to have turned around three times, reset itself in five different directions uh, before the blow comes in. So it's all about like, is is it the right anchor for the, the bottom? Do you have the correct amount of scope out? It should set itself um, anyway, if you've got a, a decent anchor design in the right medium. But um, you're not trying to use the engine to comparably uh, replicate the forces that'll be on the boat during a heavy blow at anchoring. Firstly, uh, the mechanism which you have put in place, all this chain and everything, is designed to minimize forces on the anchor. So you can put as much revs on as you want. The whole system you've just laid out is to minimize the force on the anchor. Does Does that make sense? So it's better to like dig the anchor in with little revs okay cool she's got a remember on mary Maid. so she mary Maid had some very odd anchors <laughs> she um she's 104 foot long and like i don't know how much she weighed like a lot it was a, an old classic boat like what i maybe like 90 tons or something and um she had this highly polished um phosphor bronze fisherman's anchor which was completely useless um but would be rigged on the foredeck because it looked like par for the course you know it's like it looked awesome on this 100 year old vessel um and on the other side she had a damn great big cqr so obviously most of the time we'd have a cqr out and that would be how we'd hold the boat so um we would put the um cqr over the side and we let out and obviously got some of the front and that's that's a really fun part of of anchoring you know you can do kind of nautical stuff like you know, you hold your hand up, one shackle, two shackles, three shackles. You don't have to be yelling at each other like you're on the Muppet show. You know, just those fingers in the air, and obviously not just the central middle finger or the, the the V sign. Depends how your relationship is with the uh, disgruntled four-deck workers' union. But just holding your fingers up, one shackle, two shackle. By the time there's a couple shackles of chain out, you can then pull on that. And what will happen is, yeah, you will... The anchor will start to dig in a little bit, but there's very little catenary, there's very little curve in the system, and you will be able to impose a force onto the flukes of the anchor to get it to dig in a little bit. At that point, if you put maxi chat like full revs on and go astern as hard as you possibly can, you probably will pull the anchor out. You're just trying to set the flukes. And then you start to lay out the chain on the bottom. If you think of like a big ship, when it lays its anchor, it lays out a couple of shackles of, of chain and the, the skipper will back the, the vessel down just to get the, the, as the bow swings into the wind, boom. Okay, now she's, now the anchor's set. And then we lay out the chain. We put a little bit of RPM on just to make sure we didn't bunch up some chain and kind of, you know, make a little can out of it on the bottom. And then that's the system. You can, the, the thing is that what forces are available to you with, you know, so let's say a 38 foot boat, it's probably got like a 38, 40 horsepower engine, something like that. But if you have not got water flowing over the um, propeller, as you go into reverse with, you know, two thirds or full, full maxi chat, that massive load of white uh, froth that's coming out the back of the boat is because the pressure on the back of the propeller blade is so low that you're actually aerating the water. It's, it's boiling at water temperature which then means that the propeller is operating in a... It's got good traction. You know, obviously, you couldn't hold it as a person. But in terms of the thousands of kilos it's going to have to hold in a, a big blow on the anchor, it's nowhere near that. It's nowhere near that because it's just rotating in a big, frothy uh ball of, of 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 gas that it's created as it spins around making super low pressure uh, cavitation bubbles it's also ventilating it's just sucking air down from the surface of the water down to the propeller so you know it makes a lot of noise it does not really kind of do much right um the other thing is that the boat will just squat and kind of sit down at the back and, and nothing's really going to happen it's just going to um it's going to make a lot of noise, it's going to give you a good feeling, but at the end of the day, if you've already laid all of the anchor out, put all the chain on the bottom, it's, uh, it, you're not actually having very much effect on the anchor. So, um, what was the question? <laughs> so, uh, the, okay, so the answer is, here's the deal. Uh, the windlass will be able to hold the nominal pressure, maybe a third RPM, something like that, that you put in to set the anchor. And then you'll run backwards, letting out the gypsy clutch and letting the chain run over the front. And then you'll put a little bit more pressure on as you get to your five shackles or six shackles, whatever you're putting out. Um, A little bit more pressure, boom, 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 chain straight. Awesome. This is where the boat's going to be. Rig the snubber, however long or thin or thick or whatever it is that you want to do. That's it. Okay. Being at the very end of the anchoring system with the snubber and everything rigged. um, Yeah. The, the, The snubber is not there to take the big loads that are gonna be on the boat. So I I had to uh, find this out the other day. I wonder if I could get it up online. I wonder if I'm fast enough to do this whilst talking to you. I probably mess it up, but we'll have a go. I mean, clicking away in the background here, trying to find something, but I've been putting the mooring in for um, Falcon, or they're just about to do it in the next couple of days. And we had to work out what's the pressure on the boat. Um, (laughs) I I can't talk and type it the same mooring wind pressure values i think it's a west marine product it's a it's a little thing on board from them all about anchoring load on your road that sounds a bit rude from practical sailor maybe they'll do it oh yeah so abyc uh, documents i have to find out in the end what abyc stands for what i found out is that on the 100 foot rig on our boat in 100 knots of wind there's going to be uh pounds of pressure on the rigging so if I I don't know what exactly the value, I'm not gonna be able to find it like it'd just be a waste of time when I could edit and do all that kind of stuff but we all have to <laughs> we are all live in a world now where it's completely okay if someone just starts messing around on a phone or a computer where you talk to them let's try and resist that uh, instinct but um for for my boat although she only weighs nine thousand kilos so let's try and keep this in one metric or the other here although she only weighs twenty two thousand pounds when she's in a hundred knot gust she's experiencing thirty thousand pounds. Uh, on the rigging alone, the drag on the mast and on all of the, the stays and shrouds and halyards and all the rest of it. So the engine cannot create that kind of bollard pull. It cannot pull that hard. So I can say, is the anchor set? I can say if the anchor is set or not with a third of RPM at the very start of the anchoring process. Um, as, as I said before, it better be that the uh, boat stays at that exact orientation to the wind before the blow comes on. as you have no idea what's going on under underground, underwater, that's where the anchor should be in the ground underwater. So I would say, uh, don't, don't get lost too much in, in the, the, the details here. Um, set, the, drop the anchor. After you uh, back down on gentle RPM, you set the anchor, the boat comes up against that, probably a third RPM would be enough to make sure that the anchor itself is set, then give it a load more chain. Another little pull with a third RPM and you'll have a straight anchor chain. Rig your snubber so it goes down to the water. Do not include the amount of anchor road that goes or chain that goes from the water to the bow or the snubber or anything else. Um, and five to one is the minimum um, for normal holding. If it's a storm, you just keep letting it out, boy. That's the, the only answer I got there. So there we go. I hope that helps, uh, Blake. And sorry for, um, oh, he says it's an Ericsson 38, a 1980 Ericsson 38. Well, I hope you're enjoying that, man. Um, okay, who else we got here? uh oh it's exciting see i don't know i don't know which computer i'm on now i don't know which flipping mouse does what oh i can just tap this this is the good thing i had to make a choice do i get a laptop or do i get an ipad and you're basically making a choice between the way that you want to interact with it so i can get the ipad and put it in this little case and it's got its own keyboard but at the end of the day i can touch the ipad as well and it's um it's been very interesting to uh make the choice to to go for the ipad option because i do like just prodding things and poking things There's a bit of a kind of monkey in me that just likes um <laughs> just likes prodding things okay who's this this is from greg tufan the cabago express is that the name of your boat that's cool man he says i've been listening to the podcast and following on youtube great stuff good man thanks man uh i live in buffalo new york on lake erie and i've been sailing since 2018 novice at best no way man that means means you haven't got any bad habits don't worry about that. Just bought a seventy-two Cal twenty-nine, uh, working on a refit right now and getting it ready for spring. Awesome! So it's coming just about now. Best way to learn and prove is to be on the water. Okay. Uh, he says, a, "Perhaps a podcast a day was a bit ambitious." Yes, yes, <laughs> it was. It was petrifying. So look, as this goes out on Friday, technically it's Friday still here in Canada when this goes out. That's three in a week. That's pretty good. If we're going up from there then, uh, well, maybe that'll come in the future. Maybe my new fantastic little uh, red scarlet box here. Um, it's called a scarlet, but it is red. I'm not losing my mind. It's uh, the scarlet 4i4 is what it is, but it's a little red box to me. Maybe that's going to make things so easy that I can do one once every day. Okay. what He says, um, oh, these are ideas for, um, yeah, right. For doing the, um, the uh, ABC of boating, whatever we're going to call it. So, i think it was you i yes i read this so this is you greg thanks very much it was his idea to go for boat and that's what i went for and b is for boat um and then uh his idea for c is captain oh what is a good captain skipper should be mindful of what the skipper should be mindful of with the crew the boat before during and after Hmm. Or since one is not really a captain until one gets a captain license, how to go about it? Is it really necessary? Or at what stage in one's sailing life should one consider gaining? life? Okay, I get I get this is going. He says he loves the tangents. Well, you're gonna love this one then mate. Um, Captain, that's a good, that's a good point. Uh, I don't call myself a captain. I've got 325 something thousand miles. I'm not calling myself captain. You know who the captains? Military people, military people who go through like you know years and years of training to be the best of the very best um and i don't mean army captains although they're very good i mean navy captains um i think captains of um tugs and ships who have been in the merchant navy for years and years and years that's the word that i keep for them they're captains there are master mariners as well who people have been on the water for a very long time who uh, you know have the utmost respect of everybody around from their level of qualification and from their level of experience. So I call myself a skipper. Uh, it's got like like mud skipper, like something like that. It seems like I'm not being too like fancy about it. It's just yeah, I'm in charge in this situation, but I'm going to leave those words for other people. Like there's um, I always think this with the RYA stuff. It's like uh, yacht master and then ocean master it's like wow <laughs> it's, it's it's pretty high for looting like I, I i'm a commercially endorsed ocean master is one of my qualifications but there's that doesn't leave much room for anything else does it what comes out like sea lord like you know owner of the oceans or something like that um so uh what is a captain you're the captain if uh, if you go out and you have declared yourself to be the captain and everyone's looking to you is your responsibility primarily to keep everybody that comes on that boat safe, safe physically, safe emotionally, um, and uh, and to to be the very best version of, of whoever you are, you know? So I would say, uh, is qualification necessary? Absolutely. And if they call it a captain's license, that's fine. I do laugh sometimes where I go down to places like, I don't laugh at people, I'm laughing with them. It's just, they've already left, you know? Um, They, um, it's like, oh, Chris, yeah, this is Captain Bob. This is Captain Sally. This is Captain Mary. This is Captain Charlie. Wow, man, this is a lot of experience in this room. Um, I I think, uh, keep it on the lowdown. Like the best captain is the one that says very little. Everything happens very smoothly. Everyone's relaxed. Everything gets done in a professional manner. To me, that's what a captain's about. When you think of something like the perisher course, which is the command uh, training course for uh, submarine captains, um, if you come out the back of the perisher course, which I would, uh, just, you know, if you don't know the perisher course, I think it's the same in the U S if you fail the perisher course as an advanced submariner already met probably many years below the water, you have to leave the submarine service because you're like, you're going to be an expired, an aspiring wannabe who can't actually make it. So you've got to leave. So somebody who passes that kind of process, I think of, um, the guy who, uh, did the, my qualification, my yacht master, I think it was, uh, he was Captain Knight. He had driven the second largest, uh, oil tank in the world at the end of his career. Like, am I a captain? Because he gives me a 350 pound, uh, qualification and he's a captain and he's been at sea for 50 years and commanded some of the largest vessels. And I'm like, I just don't feel like, <laughs> I just don't feel like we're on the same level, you know? So, um, I'm, I'm a skipper so if we're gonna do if we're gonna do something about the command structure on board a boat maybe it'll be under s for skipper <laughs> but uh i like that we get to um um oh he says yeah another idea is use the glossary of nautical terms on wikipedia but that's cheating yeah well i had to cheat a little bit to do the one on uh, b is for boating that is pretty wild give someone like me the option to talk for a couple of hours on boating and that could end up anywhere we could end up discussing like clipping your dog's toenails if uh if I'm not uh, brought back on course a little bit, which thank God the um, the uh, the Wikipedia page was able to do. All right, thanks thanks very much for that, Greg. Uh, Cobago Express, the Cobago Express, that's a very cool name. All right, uh, Rob Cochran. Rob Cochran, I love your emails. I am not going to be able to read all of this out because I know from his previous emails that Rob is getting back into creative writing and just writing on a hop, which is flipping awesome. He was the guy who was telling us about the flat tire when he was going to pick up his um, daughter. He's, he's here in, um, uh, oh no, she ne- she needed to return to Sackville and uh, he was in Toronto and it's this whole thing. Hey, he sent me like a load of wonderful pictures of him a- out on the lake and there's all this awesome stuff. Like it's that old thing, isn't it? That, hey, hang on, there's a pits of motorbikes in here as well. This is not all sailing stuff. <laughs> some of this and there's a goose. Oh, but there's some boats as well that looks nice yeah people with life jackets on loving that coffee on board the boat fish yeah this is awesome this is what sailing's meant to be about. a nice chocolate lab um i love this stuff no one ever asked me to go sailing because they all think i'm like super busy with like big boat stuff but um if only they knew if only they knew that um i don't you know i'm just like everybody else i'm just kind of making it up as i'm going along um certainly from what i can see here we have got some people who are really enjoying uh being out on their boats which is definitely what it's all about um he was saying he watched uh, miranda meron's press conference um with the vendee globe i actually i know miranda a little bit she is married to oh i'm gonna forget his name now oh all right come on you can write to me and tell me miranda meron's husband i helped them put their uh class 40 up on the hard in Cherbourg last time i was there um like via travel if definitely not just ramming up against the dock and um beautiful boat and her husband whose name is completely lost me now he was the navigator on uh challenger when she was america's challenge in the uh in the whitbread in 1997 he's an incredibly uh experienced skipper Oh, well skipper now but navigator at that point but let's just say mariner incredibly experienced mariner and uh miranda yeah very down to a very normal person we saw that with a few different people um in the uh der globe on this uh, last go round, like pip hair replacing that rudder normal people well let's let's use the clipper uh thing here ordinary people doing extraordinary things it's uh it was fantastic and yeah as he says no bullshit attitude and really easy to relate to the problem for me with sailing in the last mm, 20 years is that it has accelerated, the upper ends of it have accelerated so far away from everybody's like normal sailing that they're kind of out of sight. And people like Miranda and Pip bring it back that you can you can understand what's going on. I would say this, if you can speak French or if you can take the time to decode some of the French translations, remember Google Translate helped with that, read the stuff coming back from the French skippers. Um, it's not exclusively them, but they just have a different attitude about it i don't speak french i am one of the people that takes the time to try and work out how on earth this is uh, working i'm trying to learn more french as i go along but um they, they have a different attitude and we need more of that we need people who are um real people who are out there doing it it's impossible to have heroes in sailing if everybody's just white sunglasses and everything costs a million bucks and you know that's that's not what it's about so um, Rob, uh, out on the lake is, is my hero for today, taking his boat out, having fun, enjoying himself with his family there. It looks, um, looks pretty awesome. So, okay, next one. What have we got here? This one's from Pete. Uh, B is for Bowsprit is his, uh, subject matter. Uh, we are going to be going through this, um, ABC of, uh, of boating or whatever we're calling this thing. Uh, I think a few times, um, B is for Bowsprit, he says, um, Bound to be lots of history to talk about. Yeah, definitely. Nets, bob stays, and whatnot. And then on to very modern carbon spritz that support structural luffs. Could go into two to one. halyards, torsion ropes, top down, bottom up furlers, tack line arrangements, advantages of forward projection. Man, that's a very good point. Um, I did read this one. I thought it was uh, one of the, the best options I came for. I think we can definitely do that, Pete. Um, I think what we'll find is uh, we'll end up getting more and more granular as this goes along i just wanted to kind of like cover some wide ranging things to begin with to kind of like set it up and i you know i, I really enjoyed finding out that sailing's nine hundred thousand years old like <laughs> if you haven't listened to Bees for boating uh yeah it's it's there's some good stuff in there i think it's um it's pretty interesting like show me i i did think after i'd done it hate that um I think I said, you know, what else were humans doing then that they're still doing now? You know the one thing I missed out? Music. I should have thought of that. Music is one of the things which is definitely. Now, we are talking about Homo erectus, not, you know, Homo sapien. So I don't know. But there's. From what I've seen, some of those um, caves out in. um, uh, Oh, what? Denisovan caves out in Russia. I think it's there. They found like um, bone flutes made from the jawbone of an animal. Um, it's, it's hollow inside, they put holes in it, and then uh, even uh, the modern anthropologists like giving it a, a blow and, and playing on this thing. Um, yeah, I think uh, there's not many things that um, ourselves or our ancestors were doing that's 900,000 years old. So I just want to start with generalities, and then we'll get more and more um, tightened up on, on what we're looking at. Otherwise, it just gets a little bit too too dry for some folks, and that's, that's not uh, completely awesome. Bowsprit, hmm. I think, you know, R is going to be, it sounds like S is going to be for skipper. I should write this down. I guess I'm going to forget about it. Oh, that's, I, I was enjoying that as well. I've got all of this technology all around me here. Um, and then I've got a fountain pen and a piece of paper in the middle I'm taking notes on. Yeah, that's that's how that goes. Fountain pen doesn't work on the iPad. I've also tried that. I've also tried tapping the screen on the, uh, the, the, the desktop here. I, I'm getting so confused how to interact with things. I don't know which thing to go with, but the fountain pen remains very... Uh, standard and uh, central to what's happening here so um if s is for skipper we could say that r may well be for rig we could start there or rigging or something um and the bowsprit could come into it yeah i mentioned underhill earlier fantastic book uh, lots to be learned there and, and bowsprits and the evolution of bowsprits and, and learning to project um away from the uh if you think about it, like a tall ship and what have you it's got these big Um, square sails you're blowing primarily along you know if if you can most of the time you're trying to go downwind with them hence the clipper route around the world like bringing your trade back bring it back via if you're coming back from china you're going to come back via the cape of cape horn rather than cape of good hope because you want to use the speed of the boat to go downwind but think about the the wind and the eddies and the 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 disturbances that are ahead of those sails um the fore and aft sails the jibs the staysails that are ahead of those square sails they are like man, they're in a right mess of wind. Um, the same is that is true for, for our boats. Once that mainsail goes out and you're in some kind of downwind operation, there's a reason that we project symmetrical spinnakers far away on the other side of the boat. Now we've got sports boats. We, we're not really using spinnaker poles so much. We're using the bowsprit to replicate that same effect, but to get that kite away from that big twisting eddy that's, um, that's behind the behind. <laughs> <laughs> I just think there's probably a four deck crew somewhere called twisting Eddie, but, um, the, uh, yeah, twisting Eddie just forward the mast, uh, uh, that can of course catch your, your, your kite and suck it in. As I think of this, I think of, um, one day in the Atlantic on, uh, Qingdao and, uh, we were hoisting the medium weight kite. We we're just coming off the lightweight, which is probably like a 0.75 ounce. And we were going on to the medium weight, which is maybe like, I don't know. What was that? Like 1.5 ounce. I think it was. And, um, the now if i get this right the lightweight kite we had named felicity and the medium weight kite was called judith although i can't remember for the life of me what the heavyweight kite was called but um we we were like you know hoisting judith it was just easier to give these things names to say using too much jargon starts to just people just glaze over so if you if you say go and get the 0.75 ounce kite they're like huh if you say go and get felicity like okay got it so we were we were in the middle of a peel between these two kites the rig on those boats is pretty conservative. The boat's 68 foot. So I guess the rig's like, I don't know, like 90 foot or something, but the kites are symmetric and, and deep, deep kites, a lot of material in them. And uh, it's going up in, what was it going up in? It wasn't in stops, because it already got to the point where we weren't using wool, we weren't using elastic bands or anything. So it was probably in something like a Grand Prix launching bag, one of those big, long, like sock things with a zip up it and a kind of nappy at the bottom. Whatever the deal was, <laughs> <laughs> the kite that was going up came out of the bag very prematurely and then as everything started to go wrong the guy on the wheel uh accidentally crash dried the boat in very light airs but um as i came up on deck i looked up to see uh both felicity and judith <laughs> the medium and lightweight kite uh wrapped around the rig like christmas present type wrapped around the rig like you just look up and go oh my god how am i going to get that locked down so uh, yeah, learning about bow spritz projection and Eddie's behind sails is very key to being to keep things nice and smooth So I'll keep that one in the um, in the in the, the box here Pete and uh, we can we can get around to that We'll, we'll touch on it when we do um, the rigging and then uh, maybe get into that for the for the next one. So yeah, thanks for that man We got any more here. Let's have a quick see uh, No, I don't think I think we've got towards the end of it now. Yeah, okay, that's good. So um, the, the one I just got from PGN uh, uh, sailing this morning was the other one I was thinking of, but that's, uh, that's about the veteran stuff, which we touched on, so that's awesome. So, okay, and the last thing is one of the most important things. I just wanna welcome a few new people to the Patreon page. Um, I started out doing the Patreon in about June or July of uh, 2020 and as it takes exactly no imagination to work out, 2020 was extraordinarily difficult uh, when you're involved in a tourism-based business and then something happens which stops everybody everywhere <laughs> moving to anywhere. Uh, it's very, very difficult. So to all of the Patreons who um, have put their support in over the last year, thank you so much. I'm going to start to uh, come back and read out who is it that's on this. Uh, the It's a pretty good deal, actually. I, I think we're going to have to just work out exactly how we can give out the... Um, the trips, which are part of it. So if you're not aware of this, we have the the Patreon page. You go to patreon.com, uh, or there's a link in the description on the podcast. And there's an opportunity there, just drop a couple of coins in the jar, which helps with, uh, me being able to give time to do this you know just recording this podcast it'll go out to you and it's gonna be looks like it's gonna be about an hour and 15 minutes long by the time i have to listen all the way back through it again to make sure there's no errors like i made the other week by accidentally muting part of it for 30 minutes um, i gotta listen back through it um, obviously there'll be some bits of stuff cut out and me having to look things up and by the time you're done you're looking at about three and a half to four hours to put an hour and 15 minutes worth of uh podcast out i love doing it it's no problem at all my setup's getting better and better here and more and more of what I'm doing is getting focused on this. It's a fantastic way to connect with people. Um, but as it started getting going at the beginning, though there, there wasn't very much. The Patreons jumped on board because what we said is um, if you're able to go in at the uh, different one of the different levels, there are trips available with Spartans. So you can go sailing um, in the Caribbean, you can do transatlantics, you can come and do uh, solo stuff. I mean, there's all sorts of different things we can do. Uh, we're gonna get in the seamanship uh videos up there i've kind of got a little bit a little bit along with that and then it kind of dried up a little bit again my focus is coming back to that i do apologize for those who've been waiting for more of those get the blogs on there it's tricky sometimes when you're in a tough situation you know that you want to get from a to b but what seems to be more prevalent at the front of your mind is I just want to get away from A. A is like a big problem for me right now. So you set off in any direction possible. There's only one a, one way to get from A to B. B is where you want to be that's nice and safe. You set off in all sorts of different directions. Starting the Patreon thing was one of the ideas I had. A lot of people actually ended up saying, oh, what's Patreon, how does that work? What's the deal with that? And feeling that it, you know, they do some looking up online and suddenly get a story and say, it's like some kind of sham. Patreon is a fantastic method that allows creators to, Get some financial um, restitution for 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 the work that they put in, whether it be with music or art or um, with woodwork or all sorts of things. So, rather than having set up complicated membership web pages and that kind of thing, creators will put their content onto Patreon, and then you can go in, say, drop a couple of um, coins in the jar each month, and that helps me to put. You know, even this one podcast, if you have an eight hour working day, half my working day is uh, making this uh, this podcast and there's no other like financial game for me. So I have uh, 37 uh, Patreons and between them, they have uh, made 2020 tolerable. I will tell you there was a bit where the money from Patreon was literally paying the, the mortgage. That's that's how important it was. So. I haven't really kind of dived into that too much because I was in such a frantic effort to get out of the problem, which A represented, I kind of lost my way a little bit and didn't realize quite how important it could be. So uh, Patreon, uh, let's start with uh, those who are newest um, and then we'll, 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 we'll go from there. So the newest people at the moment are uh, Ryan McNabb, welcome, and Linda, uh, <laughs> now I'm going to murder this, but Mieckley? Mie- Meekly, I'm M E I K L E, meekly, meekly, maybe meekly. That's nice. Uh, and Scott Langer just dropped in. So um, the amounts that people are putting down, there's all sorts of different things you can put in there. If you're putting the higher amounts of money, and you get like your name on the hull as you're going around the the world, as I'm going around the world, uh, don't don't come with me on this one. If you want to go around the world, me go in the Ocean Globe Race. Don't don't go on this one. <laughs> go the wrong way around the world. But your name can go, which is nice. And um, and then doing the transatlantic trips now the transatlantic trips if you're going to pay for one of those they range about 5000 us Um, the amount of money that you'd be putting in to qualify for that be about 1200 us like 100 bucks a month Um, there's very few people in that pool we're rapidly getting around to where the first people are going to get drawn on that so there's a couple of folks here I know that have been uh, up at that $100 a month uh, amount which is completely awesome Um, Len on Lantau Um, with the fantastic little uh, avatar there, which is LOL. Len on Lantau. Lantau is in Hong Kong. The only Len I know of in Hong Kong was Len, who is the skipper of the g Fong. So if that makes any sense to you, Len on Lantau, please uh, write back to me and tell me if I've got that right. But if not, somebody on Lantau is providing some wonderful support for me and uh, yeah, has been a massive help in all of this um and my friend Ramesh there and uh there's a few others we'll get into that a little bit more and I'll, I'll try it's one of those things in it when you fall behind on something then you just start to feel like oh it's such a mountain to climb up but if you just like take one step after another I should know this better than anybody you don't want to contemplate doing some massive ocean voyage you just need to contemplate this watch this day this storm little bits but sometimes it's easy to get um you're scurrying so fast to get out of a that you go in the wrong direction you should just try and plan properly where b is and Patreon was the path that has uh, definitely helped me the most in the last 12 months. So thanks to everybody that's on there. There's a good um, uh, little option there for them to ask questions and what have you and uh, and send uh, send me your thoughts on things. So uh, if you want to consider that, yep, yeah, the link is in the description for the podcast or you go to patreon.com and look for The Mariner. You'll see my smiling face with a bit of Marlowe racing TT over my shoulder from the look of it good well we're kind of at the end of things now I'm going to look through my piece of paper here damn the computers i've got to check the piece of paper to tell me what's uh, going on uh one last thing um we are just working with the new sponsor at the moment so um the sponsor let me tell you just a little bit about that for like one minute before we go um the uh the sponsor we have is a hydrogen power company now if you're living in the UK. I listen to the UK radio all the time here, and I see that they have just changed the rules on uh, carbon. Uh, you know, carbon uh, being put out into the atmosphere and the use of carbon. They've they've accelerated that program by fifteen years, and that does extend to the maritime world. So, um, ding dong, reality's calling. That diesel engine that's in the bottom of your boat is gonna start to become a problem for you in the end. Not now. Don't worry right now but soon enough that old noisy (laughs) messy lump of crap in the bottom of the boat that we love and rely on so much is gonna have to change somehow and the uh electrics always there of course it is but hydrogen is way more energy dense and it is a most likely option for uh us as mariners to be out on the water with some kind of hydrogen powered uh boat that may be um combustible batteries maybe we have to get into that like how hydrogen can be used with oxygen to make electricity in a a catalyst uh it well it it passes over a catalyst in this kind of like box thing which is basically a battery let's call it a combustible battery but you feed in hydrogen and oxygen and you get electricity out i know it sounds like um first day at hogwarts but um that's that's how it goes we've got lots more to tell you about on that because we're literally specking the system for the open 60 right now but the other thing is that the internal combustion engine that you've got on your boat um, can run on hydrogen now you can crack water to get hydrogen but it has to really be distilled water there's all sorts of issues but those are the problems that my sponsor is looking to overcome they have a lot of the technology in place already and um, I gotta say I can remember for a fact sitting in Hong Kong in 2005 it was the same magazine that I was reading that had the advert for my uh, for, to join Clipper and it had the Nissan Leaf it was an electric car and like wow yeah electric cars you know it's like Star Trek right and here we are 12 13 years later and you've seen them on the road maybe you want one maybe you don't want one but that we are all going over that waterfall together, that's happening. And if you think that's not gonna to extend to the water, you're, you're in La La Land. So um, we have a sponsor which is going to put a hydrogen system onto Falcon as I go around the world with it. If it works, I will be, well, their system will work. The only question is, can i get around the world <laughs> i am going the wrong way um but if the uh, system is on board the boat and the boat gets to where it's meant to be going i.e back here it'll be the first ever circle navigation using a hydrogen powered system so we're getting into that a little bit more um yeah it's 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 pretty exciting i'm, I'm stoked to tell you more about that uh, very very soon but um yeah we'll be uh, we'll be digging in deep with that um a little bit further maybe h is for hydrogen maybe that's how we could incorporate that into the abc of boating because It's one of those things you need to uh, realize, like, (laughs) times are changing, right? And things are moving forward. And uh, one thing I will say, like, when I first got into it, I thought, hydrogen, that's like the Hindenburg. That's how that blew up. Yeah, well, and also boats are destroyed and people are killed every year by LPG on board the boat. You know what the one crucial difference is? LPG sinks and hydrogen rises. So if you have a hydrogen leak, it will go out very easily onto the deck and be dissipated very easily. The issue with LPG, of course, is that it sinks into the build. So um, we already deal with pressurized gas on the boat. The question is, um, can we make the change smoothly to what's coming next? So I'll be going to that a little bit more later on. But I'd love to hear your uh, reaction to that because uh, I'm sure we've all we've all got a thought on that. You know, the internal combustion engine has been such a ubiquitous part of our lives in our cars, trucks, you know, everything, boats. Um, it's on its way out, or certainly in the format that we knew it. It's on its way out, and um, you know, how would you feel if there's uh, new legislation inside of ten years that says you cannot be burning diesel on your boat? What What's your plan? Like the electrics, uh, electric powered motors. We've we've already talked about the fact that YouTube channels like Sailing Uma they've been uh, they've been looking at that and seeing how that works. But the batteries that go with that, the voltage regulators, the battery monitoring systems is a very expensive option. How exactly are we going to deal with that? might it be easier to have hydrogen um, on board the boat and then that's just fed into your existing internal combustion engine that's all sounds very good of course but then there needs to be a massive infrastructure for you to be able to refill with hydrogen or we have to get the technology worked out so you can make hydrogen from the water around you so definitely something interesting there. if anybody's got any particular experience in this field i'd love to hear about it because um the, the company is new. That's why I'm not putting their name out just now. So you're all scrabbling to look at who they are. Um, they're, they're so new. They've got all of their licenses and they've got their deals and they've got their uh, government permissions and everything in place. But they will launch their website and and start to display their, their produce or their, their product rather, not their produce. They don't sell vegetables. They sell hydrogen marine propulsion systems. Must remember that new sponsor, not a vegetable shop. Actually, Hydrogen Power Shop. Yeah, they will be telling us more about that as we go a little bit further along. But what we're doing at the moment is working out how to get this system onto Falcon uh, by the end of the year. So if it works on there, that would be replacing or certainly modifying a 38 uh, 38 horsepower engine and providing power for me for autopilots and satellite broadcast systems and water desalination and lights and radio and all the rest. If they can solve that on that boat where I'm going, it'll work on your boat. The question is, are we ready for it. So we can chat about that next time. But um, yep, that's the end of that. That's the end of questions and tangents for this week. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, great to read out those emails because <laughs> I'm not like emotionally damaged every time I look at my inbox thinking, I've got to read that out, I've got to read that out. Um, so send me other questions if you've got them. It's CSMTheMariner at gmail.com. And uh, I can uh, do a terrible job of talking my way through them as I have done here. Um, But until the next one, uh, oh, what's the next one going to be? The next one is going to be, it depends. I have already recorded the next Slocum, but I may put out the one which is the review of the Heli Hansen gear. Um, I don't want to do like Slocum back to back to back to back because it gets a bit samey. So um, I want to kind of keep that uh, spread out a little bit. So we'll do maybe a gear review and then we'll go back to that uh, next part of Slocum. But yeah, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, I hope that you are safe and sound and uh, looking forward to next time you go on the water. Hope it's getting nice and warm wherever you are, if you're in the Northern hemisphere, or I hope you've enjoyed your summer sailing. If you're in the Southern hemisphere, it's time for the rest of us to have some fun now. But uh, yeah, keep safe and I'll speak to you in the next one. Cheers.